Hi, welcome to Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're concluding our series called Sons of Abraham. It's part of our study in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And today we're coming to a fork in the road, so to speak, in our understanding of something we can call two paths for life. We're going to see that as Christians, we can either live by faith or by the law. One path, the law, is totally dependent upon us getting it right. And the other path, Christ getting it right for us. As always, an encouraging message for your faith ahead. Let's listen now to part one of the message called Two Paths for Life. Here's John. The law and faith, the gospel, operate on two mutually exclusive principles. You can either be law-driven in your life, or you can be gospel-driven. Look at chapter 3, verse 12, and also look at chapter 3, verse 11. In both verse 11 and both verse 12, Paul twice says the phrase, you shall live. Those two phrases set forth two promises. We'll come back to that in a minute. But when you look at those two phrases, Paul is juxtaposing, contrasting two mutually exclusive ways to live. You shall live by faith or you shall live by law. In Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5 and verse 12, Paul teaches the law-driven principle of life. He teaches that the one who obeys, the one who seeks to do the law for justification, shall live like that, shall live by that, shall obtain life from that. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which he quotes in verse 11, he says forth the gospel-driven principle. And the gospel-driven principle which he teaches is this, is that the righteous man, listen, shall live by faith. Look what he says. Look at the contrast. Verse 11, the righteous shall live by faith. Verse 12, the one who does the law, the one who does them, shall live by them, the law. Two mutually exclusive principles for living. And this is what Paul taught from Galatians chapter 3, verse 11, that the correct method for life, the correct way that you obtain life, is this. Is that the justified man lives by faith, not just to get in the Christian life, but to go on in the Christian life. The justified man, Paul says, lives by faith in Christ, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for his initial and his ongoing daily acceptance before God. And so every day, Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, for example, Paul says that he renounced all confidence in his daily performance, both before and after becoming a Christian. And he looked, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he looked daily, second by second, to Christ alone for his righteous standing, his acceptance, his favor before God. In contrast to that gospel-driven life, the Judaizers came into the church and they insisted to the Galatian Christians that if they really wanted God's goodwill over their life on an ongoing basis, 
They didn't just merely need to trust in Jesus, but they also had to do certain things, requirements to keep his favor. Namely, be circumcised, keep certain Jewish feast days, holy days. And Paul says, we'll come back to it in a minute. Galatians chapter 5, verse 3, if you want to be circumcised, you can't cherry pick the law. If you're going to obey one law, you have to obey the whole thing. And so these false teachers came into the church and they began to combine and mix together the law and the gospel for justification. Not just initial justification, but ongoing daily in your life. And they said, if you don't get circumcised, if you don't keep the law of Moses, you cannot be in an ongoing right relationship with God. In other words, this is what they were saying. Faith in Jesus was necessary, but not essential and sufficient to keep you right with God. So therefore, you have to take what you do and add it to what Jesus has done so that you present yourself on a daily basis acceptable to God. And so the law-driven life is summed up in the Nike slogan. Just do it. Just do it. If you just do it, Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 12, you will be declared righteous before God and you will inherit eternal life. You will get life. You shall live. If you don't just do it, then you're unrighteous before God and you're eternally cursed. So the principle of law, listen, applies to doers. Doers. On the other hand, the gospel-driven life is summed up in this slogan, just believe Him. God speaks a word of life to you, and He says, live. And you come to life, and then you go do. But if you reverse the two, and you try to do in order to get God to say live, you're cursed. But if you let God speak a word of pardon and mercy and grace, the gospel to you, it brings you to life. And then your heart is driven, listen, out of gratitude, not slavish duty, trying to earn God's favor, but you are propelled in your life because you have his favor. And then you obey. This is what Paul is teaching here. And so the principle of faith applies to believers. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. The righteous shall live by faith. The justified people shall live by faith. Look at verse 12. But the doers shall live by what? Not faith, but by what? The law. And this matter of justification. So faith, listen very carefully, faith is not a work. Faith is not a condition for justification. Faith is not the act that we perform to get God to respond and say you're justified. Faith is a gift that rests and receives the righteousness of Christ. It rests and receives in the works of another. 
namely Jesus and His obedient life and death for you. Your surety. So faith in justification is simply an instrument. It is a gift. A gracious means by which God bonds you to Jesus Christ. And when you possess Jesus Christ, Paul says you possess all things. That's why in 1 Corinthians, Paul says Jesus has become unto us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. If you possess Jesus through the gracious gift of faith, you possess all things. It is a free gift. It is a bond. It is not a work. It is not the condition by which we are justified. The condition by which we are justified was fulfilled in Christ's perfect life of obedience for us. And by faith, when we hear the gospel, where does faith come from? How do we get it? Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And when you hear this good news preached and announced to you, the Holy Spirit takes it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul says, which is the gospel is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and he quickens your heart. He effectually applies it to you. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, just as God said, let light shine out of darkness, so he has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Conversion is a miracle. It is not a method. And when you become alive to God, your faith is strengthened and deepened and sustained and increased, not by law-keeping, but by deeply taking in more and more the unsearchable riches of Christ. And so Paul shows you here are two mutually exclusive principles for living. Second, Paul also contrasts two totally different foundations by which to stand in judgment before God. You see, the doctrine of justification assumes that there's going to be a judgment. And judgment is not taught in churches today. Because we don't want to sound like those hellfire and brimstone screaming preachers from the woods. We don't have to scream and shout and tell people you're going to hell, and you know, like they used to preach, to teach people that you're created by God. Therefore, God is your creator and he's your judge and you're accountable. And so Paul shows you here that you have two mutually different foundations for standing before God in judgment. Look at the beginning of verse 12 and look what Paul says. He says, the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. What he's saying is simply this. The law is based on works for justification, not faith and trusting Christ. That's what he's saying. But he says back in verse 11, Galatians 3 verse 11, faith rests on a different foundation. Faith rests on Christ and his works for justification. And so both foundations are mutually incompatible in regard to justification. You cannot mix them. You cannot confuse them. You either have one or the other. 
And the legal principle, the law-driven person rests for their confidence and assurance before God, not solely on Christ, but partly, and then by default what happens wholly on their daily performance and behavior. And the evangelical principle, the gospel-driven principle, Paul says, rests on Christ's obedience and perfect conformity with the law, not yours. And so, listen carefully to this. Both the legal principle and the evangelical gospel principle demand perfect righteousness. They both demand perfect righteousness. The legal foundation demands that the perfect righteousness reside within you. The evangelical righteousness demands that the perfect righteousness reside in Christ alone. And so Paul is bringing you, pun intended, to the paramount question of justification. He's answering the most important question in this passage in regard to justification. So here it is. Does our inherent righteousness, what we do, our behavior, our acts of obedience or disobedience, which would keep us from justification, do our inherent righteous acts constitute at least a little portion of the foundation or ground by which God pronounces a sinner just? That is the most important question in the whole issue of justification. Does your inherent righteousness, your behavior, your acts of obedience contribute to even a little part in the act of God declaring you justified? The Judaizers came into the church and said yes. Paul came into the church and said with said a resounding no. Let me give you an example. There were 200 well there are 242 positive commands in the law. There are 365 prohibitions in the law. And if a person keeps all 607 of those commands perfectly every second of every moment of their entire existence. Paul says you can stand before God in judgment and look at God and demand that God say you're just. There's just one simple problem with that method. Not a single person who has ever lived has ever kept one let alone 607 perfectly. You don't have to raise your hands, but think about this question. How many of you got impatient this past week? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Although, I'll just go ahead and do it. (laughs) Impatience is a form of anger. And anger is murder. So all of you are murderers out there. You have 606 to go. But guess what? James says if you've broken 
One, you're guilty of the whole thing. Legalism always diminishes the standard of righteousness revealed in the law and always exalts self and says, oh, if you keep these laws, you can reach this, and so you're okay. You're guilty of the whole thing. And so Paul comes in and he says, does our inherent righteousness constitute at least 0.01% of our righteousness before God as the ground by which God looks at you and says you're just? And Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Listen to the Heidelberg Catechism, question 62. It, it, it asks this question, but why can our good works, and it's talking in the context about us as believers now, not before we become saved, justified. Why can our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least a part of it? And here's the response. Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. Everything we do in this life is shot through with sin. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he says this, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Paul says it is either Christ alone or Christ not at all. It is not a little bit of you and a little bit of him. So it is Christ's obedience. It is not our obedience. It is not our behavior. It is not our performance. It is not our acts towards God that makes us just before God. It is Christ's obedience. It is Christ's death. It is Christ's burial. It is Christ's resurrection. It is Christ's ascension. It is Christ's intercession. And it is Christ's second coming who will complete what He started. And so there are no amount of good works that you could ever perform to leave you confident before God. None. Listen to John Calvin. He says, no, if we ask in what way the conscience can be made quiet before God, we shall find that the only way be that unmerited righteousness be conferred upon us as a gift of God. We profit nothing in discussing righteousness unless we establish a righteousness so steadfast that it can support our soul in the judgment of God. And then listen to what he says. For no one can ever confidently trust in it. That is, his obedience. Because no one will ever be really convinced in his own mind that he has fully satisfied the law. As surely as no one ever fully satisfies it through works. See, that's the whole issue. Your conscience acts like this little monitor inside of you given by God. And every time you fail, it just says guilty, 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 guilty. And the only thing that will quiet 
that little voice that nags you on a daily basis for your ongoing failure is to realize that your acceptance before God lies wholly and totally outside of yourself in Christ alone. And so we as believers must constantly hear the strictness of the law preached. Why? Because the Holy Spirit takes the law and He brings true conviction instead of false guilt. And He continually makes us aware of how radically depraved we are. You're just as guilty and sinful as a homosexual that marches down the streets of San Francisco. And if you never come to understand that, you'll, not, you'll never understand justification. If you think somehow you're morally superior to a homosexual activist that gets on the street and does his thing, you don't understand justification. Because the law is lifted up to us in the Bible. And the Holy Spirit shows us how radically depraved we are and how desperately and how more eagerly we are to seek the perfect righteousness that resides in Christ alone. And so it is only the law's strict, inflexible demands of perfection Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said it, you must be perfect, as my heavenly Father is perfect. And only that perfection can shake us loose of our self-sufficiency, self-confidence, self-superiority. And cause us to look outward to Christ and to flee to Him as our sole source of refuge. And so this was the heart of the Reformation debate. This is what the Reformers were trying to inculcate back into people. They were trying to get people to see, and this is what they called it, that Christ's righteousness was an alien righteousness. An alien righteousness. Why alien? Not because it's from a different universe. It's going to come in a UFO. (laughs) What they were saying is this. The righteousness was an alien righteousness because this righteousness by which you stand before God accepted and under His goodwill and favor doesn't come from you. It doesn't generate from you. It doesn't inherit within you. It is solely outside of you. In verse 10 of Galatians chapter 3, Paul told us what the only thing is that we contribute to our justification. The only thing that we contribute to our justification, according to Paul, is our law-breaking, our sin, our transgression. In Romans chapter 5, verse 14, Paul calls Adam's eating of the forbidden tree a transgression. A transgression is a breaking of the law. It is overstepping the bounds. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, Hosea says that Adam transgressed the covenant. He broke God's law. And so when Adam blew it, 
Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, that all of his descendants with him are guilty. And so he says, as sin came into the world, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is why the law curses. This is why we have nothing to offer to God. Nothing. This is why inwardly we don't rest on a foundation of inherent righteousness. We have none. There's no ground. There's no protection. There's no refuge by which to find escape from the judgment and wrath and curse of God's law from something that is inherently within us. And so, listen, Andrew Murray said this, as Adam's disobedience made us sinners, the obedience of Christ makes us righteous. To the obedience of Christ, we owe everything. Thanks, John. We'll pick up with part two of this concluding message called Two Paths for Life from the Sons of Abraham study next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. I'm Josh Montez. Thanks for listening and join us next time.